0: Hey, this is Annie and Samantha, and welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So today, I'm very excited about what we're talking about. <laughs> we are talking about Sex and the City because, oh, yeah. as a lot of you probably heard, it is getting an HBO miniseries reboot 17 years after it ended. Also, as you've probably heard, Kim Cattrall is not going to be in it. But we thought we would take a look at the show. And I'm very excited about this for a lot of reasons. But one of them is Samantha and I are coming from very different places. So I have very little experience with this. And you, Samantha, you have a lot. And I wanted to ask as the question for the day, like when did you get into Sex in the City? Like how did it get on your radar, right. that whole thing?
1: Okay, so just go ahead and preface this. This is where our age difference is very obvious. Our interests, for <laughs> sure, we've kind of known that we have different interests. But our age difference, I think it really highlights this specifically through this. Because, of course, it came out in 95, which I was 15 at that point in time. And, of course, I lived in the boonies of Ella J. Georgia, did not have cable, barely even had internet because I had to travel in high school to my friends' homes so I could write papers and research because I did not have internet at home. So I say this in that it took me five to six years to discover the show. And because it was being replayed on things like what is now CW. So they would have the edited versions in Syndicate and replayed. And I think I did get into it before the movie actually came out. Mm-hmm. Everything about this process <laughs> seems to have some kind of drama. Because so the Sex and the City movie didn't actually happen until years later after it right. ended, after the show ended. So I definitely got caught up in it, watching the series. And it wasn't until, I think... After or the middle of college that I really started watching it and really started getting obsessed with it. I got obsessed with it enough that I bought all the DVDs. So I'm going to say towards the finale time frame. So probably a couple of years after it actually ended, maybe a year after it ended, I really got into it. And I was like, oh, I need to see all of these. I love everything about this. Why can't this be my life? (laughs) <laughs> and again, sheltered Samantha, who was very religious through college, so definitely right. was very inward and isolated when it came to the real world. I'll put this in quotes because we all know this is not the real world. Right. Um, but in my head, sure it was. You know? mm-hmm. So I definitely fell for this around that point in time. And yeah, I actually, in honor of this episode, started re-watching the entire series and OMG. We're just going to leave it there. I will say I never did make it to the second movie because the first movie was, uh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And I say that, I act as if I've seen it. I have not. So yeah, and Samantha, she was even workshopping a show where you're going to rewatch all (laughs) the episodes and comment on them, right? Well,
1: one of the reasons was because I was with a group of friends who happens to be four women in our early 30s, late 20s. This is when this was in my head. And we were talking about sex. And it was like for a couple of the women that was there it was brand new for them to talk about their own personal sex life because it's Mm -hmm. not something that happens. So when we were sitting there talking, I started thinking about the fact that this feels like an episode of Sex in the City. What the the hell? But because it is such a ridiculous show, looking back, What I really wanted to do was having um, old host Caroline, who is so cynical and so funny and so sardonic as am I, to sit there, because she's never seen these either, I I believe so, that we would sit there and watch them and just have, I guess, YouTube about reactions and commentary, Uh because I think it'd be hilarious. It is so ridiculous, and Caroline's reaction and my reactions to things are so over the top. And then having you who would be like blushing half the time would be (laughs) hilarious
0: to me. Yeah, I did watch the first episode last night for this. And I was blushing. I was embarrassed. (laughs) I was alone and blushing at this show. (laughs) Yeah, so I've only seen parts of two episodes. I remember them very well, though, because there was one where Samantha's at like a a birthday party and Carrie needs her help getting out her diaphragm. Yeah. And I was a kid and I was like, whoa. (laughs) Those are two different episodes, but yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, then I don't know what I'm talking about. No, but you're
1: correct. So, Samantha at the birthday party is a birthday party for Miranda's son, Brady, his mm. first birthday party. And she uh, dyes her bush.
0: Yes. Because and the clown. She does it a, yeah. into the clown here. That's what I remember. Yes. And then they call her <laughs> Bozo the Bush.
1: Oh, wow. Call it <laughs> Bozo the Bush, actually, because it turns orange. And then sure. the Carrie episode was in season two, I believe, because mm. she's hiding the fact that she's back with Mr. Big.
0: Oh, see, I love this. I love when we do an episode where one of us is like way more of an expert. It's ridiculous. Well, I'm really sad that this is my expertise. Thank you. Thank no, you. No, I'm happy about <laughs> it. And then I remember one where like Charlotte is trying to get out there, like Carrie and her at a some kind of like self help talk. Oh yeah. And Carrie's like, she's out there. Trust me, she's out there. I remember that. Yeah, it's that whole like self fulfillment. Yeah, 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 because she's trying to find a man. Her husband. And then I I do remember some kind of sex class one with old people. Oh, yeah. I just
1: watched that last night. Oh, so that's early on, huh? So the Diopham one and the sex class is in seasons one through two. The Samantha one is obviously later because the kid is involved. And then Charlotte, this is after her divorce. So this is also like mid, like probably season three or four or five.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got this. this is awesome. So, well, I can't figure out how I saw them because I also didn't have cable and I didn't really have TV either, but somehow, some way, I remember, I told you this story, Samantha, that in my high school, we had a, a civics teacher, Mrs. Nix. She was like a sweet older lady and she loved Sex in the City and she wasn't shy about letting people know and it was kind of the source of gossip around the school that she liked Sex in the City. And uh, when I was in Australia, I have a really funny memory of, I managed to convince half the group I was with, so that they were like 10 of us, to see the movie, the M. Night Shyamalan film, The Happening, which many of you probably remember was awful. (laughs) And the other half went to see the Sex and the City movie, and afterwards, everyone but me, even the people who didn't see the Sex and the City movie, agreed that the Sex and the City movie (laughs) was the better choice. And I was like, oh, Maybe it was shorter. I'm sure it was more fun, even if it was bad.
1: Uh, You know, for what it was, it wasn't awful. Like, it really wasn't. But there was definitely, just like in the show, a lot of problematic things in this one as well, including the fat shaming for Samantha, because she gained a half a pound. Like, she barely had a punch. That you, it was obvious that they had to do a dress that was a size smaller than what she wore to push oh, out yeah. her stomach. And you could yeah. see her stomach and they all make fun of her. It's kind of like, I remember looking yeah. at that and I'm like, she, that's gaining weight? Because damn, mm-hmm. we couldn't be friends.
0: <laughs> I've noticed that because I've been rewatching Seinfeld lately, which is where I learned a lot about sex. And Perfect. it's funny to me, like in the 90s, I feel like there was this, like, super thin women being fat shamed. You're like, what? Right. <laughs> So, Sex and the City was, it was huge. Yeah. And it was in part behind several trends that I've talked about on the other show I do, Savor. The Cosmopolitan, the drink. Yeah. Sex and the City popularized that. The cupcake boom. Yeah. Sex and the City and brunch in yes. part. And some critics actually give this show the credit for kick-starting HBO's rise. Wait, but wasn't The Wire on before that and The Sopranos? And both of those are HBO. So, I feel like Sopranos came around the same time. Okay. And actually that leads to my next point which is critics a lot of times they point out the how sex in the city got kind of treated as this frivolous guilty pleasure that you should be ashamed of right. whereas the sopranos got all this critical acclaim and people have pointed out like well one of them is masculine and violent and aggressive and the other is like feminine and funny and comedic and romantic. And which one do we give more gravitas to yeah. or think is worth awards? And yeah, Sex and the City was very, very feminine. It was like brashly feminine. Right. So there, there's a lot of interesting discourse around that. And then some people suggest that Carrie Bradshaw was one of the first popular female anti-heroes it's on true. TV. But you know, it took a long time for her to get there.
1: Yeah, to Originally, everybody wanted to be her. But mm-hmm. then it became, uh, oh God, she's seriously annoying. Why won't she stop talking? And it could uh, be very well the case that it kind of latched onto who Sarah Jessica Parker was. And she sure. started getting rumored as being not difficult necessarily because people love her, but she demanded her due. Like she asked mm-hmm. for higher pay, she wanted the credit. She carried the show essentially hey. <laughs> for the long while. And that's kind of that whole thing is not only did that personality start kind of getting annoying because there's only so much that you want to hear someone complain about themselves. And she kind of did, like towards the end, remind me of friends that only came to talk to me about their love life. You know, you, right. people have friends like yeah. that. But she's better than that. But it does start grating on you. But I think mm-hmm. it also kind of seeps in in that people had all of these rumor mills to hate Sarah Jessica Parker at that point mm-hmm. in time. And it was interesting to see.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, And even now, actually, I guess. hmm So let's go ahead and jump into what it is. I'm very excited about this, y'all. So, Sex and the City premiered in 1998 on HBO, which I thought was 95, so I'm way off. (laughs) I guess I was leaving high school when this came on. And Mm -hmm. then ran until 2004. But yeah, all of these were syndicated on regular cable networks. So, very heavily edited, by the way. Really odd. (laughs) I'm sure hilariously strange. And by the way, most of these episodes only last 25 minutes anyway. Pretty yeah. Less than 30 minutes. So I guess it was like 18 minutes with tons of right. commercials. So interesting. Sure. <laughs> and overall, the course of its run, there was like 94 episodes for over six seasons. Of course, the first and this last season, I think, were a little lesser. But no, the last season was pretty long. It had fewer episodes. Well, the first season had very few episodes, like since it was a pilot season. Right. And of course, two movies, one in 2008, which, yeah, four years after the finale, and then the other in 2010. A CW prequel series called The Carrie Diaries, which I don't think lasted very long. Only a year, right? Yeah, see, it lasted from 2013 to 2014. And now we're talking about the new limited series, which is going to be and just like that, which is how she kind of began and ended her movie stuff, I think. And so it's an interesting take. And of course, that's going to be without Kim Cattrall.
0: And if you've seen all the memes about who they want to replace her, it's quite funny. (laughs) I have not, but I, I'm eager to look that up. The show was created by Darren Starr, who's an openly gay man, and executive produced by Michael Patrick King, who's also an openly gay man, and written largely by white women. It was in part adapted from Candace Bushnell's columns from the New York Observer. so Candace Bushnell, Carrie Bradshaw, who was a self-described sexual anthropologist who published a compilation of these columns in her 1997 book titled Sex in the City. The show garnered 54 Emmy nominations, maybe 55 somewhere in there, Mm -hmm. and 24 Golden Globe nominations and numerous other awards, and has been named by more than one critic as one of the best television series of all time. For two years, it was the highest rated comedy on cable television, and Time at one point had the four leading characters on the cover with the headline, Who Needs a Husband? Right. Which is really funny because
1: the whole show is pretty much based on men, Uh but also not needing men. Like not right. having men, being without men. It's it's sure. a whole thing. But yeah. So speaking of which, the plot. So it follows three women in their 30s, which is Carrie, Miranda, and Charlotte, and one in her 40s, but she doesn't ever tell really, as they <laughs> navigate their relationships and sex, of course, in New York City. Yeah, man. I definitely wanted to be in New York City. I thought that was the life, right? <laughs> yeah. When the show first begins, only Charlotte is interested in marriage. Of course, she is the or lack of better words, debutante of New York, the sweet (laughs) wasp that really desperately wants to have a family. But they all have jobs that they enjoy, which is really incredible, right? Yeah. In in itself. And friendships, they find meaningful, and I do appreciate that. The friendships between the four main characters are at the heart of the show. So they were generally supportive and kind to each other. They made each other laugh. It's amazing. And they have a great time. (laughs) Is bookended, yes, with Carrie's narration of her sex column as a way to frame the episodes. Her first question What if women had sex like men? Ooh, which is what I was like, okay, you have to watch the first episode because it lays out kind of the whole frame of the show Uh, and Mm -hmm. she writes recreationally and selfishly with no need for emotional connection zero expectations of commitment and little regard for the feelings of their partners and of course she gives that example by hooking up with an ex that she was madly in love with
0: apparently and then just walking away from him (laughs) (laughs) of course when the show debuted it was new in a lot of ways especially when it came to depictions of women and sex. Uh, It was one of the first shows to have female characters in it that were over 30 and weren't in this big rush to get married. It was, for the most part, very anti-settling. That kind of changed as it progressed. but And it highlighted other ways women could find fulfillment, whether it was a job or a friend. It was one of the very first shows to focus on female friendship. Relationships and sex often do come up as topics of conversation in this, but so did things like infertility, motherhood, cancer, and career struggles, particularly as women of a, quote, certain age. And women really identified with these characters, hence the, I'm Miranda, or I'm a Carrie. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's hilarious, because it definitely seeped into pop
1: culture, to use that as a term, and people knew what that was. Like, it Uh said in 30 Rock, they made sure to make fun of them as a whole episode, and, and women coming together and
0: being feminine and girly and giggly. Yeah, it, it's really funny because at the end, we're going to go over like our test results, our own quizzes. <laughs> and I got like not at all what I would have said yeah, I would have gotten.
1: <laughs> and for me, it was, yeah, this I knew this. For you, I was like, wait, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was shocked. I was like, really? This is news to me. So each episode usually has four plots, one for each character, two of them superficial, one of those sex related and then two deeper. And Carrie is almost always one of these two deep storylines. And all of these storylines are intertwined with Carrie's voiceover. And I wanted to shout out Emily Nussbaum at The New Yorker for a great breakdown. I used a lot of what she wrote throughout this. So here's a quote from her article. The four friends operated as near-allegorical figures, pegged to contemporary debates about women's lives, mapped along three overlapping continuums. The first was emotional. Carrie and Charlotte were romantics. Miranda and Samantha were cynics. The second was ideological. Miranda and Carrie were second-wave feminists who believed in egalitarianism. Charlotte and Samantha were third-wave feminists focused on exploiting the power of femininity from opposing angles. The third concerned sex itself. At first, Miranda and Charlotte were prudes, while Samantha and Carrie were libertines. Unsettled as the show progressed, Carrie began to glide toward caution, away from freedom, out of fear.
1: Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest conversations as she slowly changed from, let's explore this, to no, I can't. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like maybe it's normal. That's kind of like the growth, maturity, whatever, whatnot. But she was the
0: only one out of the three that seemed like it was a thing. Maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I overstate that as well. Yeah, so let's talk about the characters. Let's talk about Carrie Bradshaw, played by Sarah Jessica Parker. The show's protagonist... And not too surprisingly, towards the end of the series, she was the least liked, probably, of all the women. She was supposed to be a sex sexpert, but her constant inability to communicate without playing the perfect mystery girl caused a lot of issues in most of, if not all of, her relationships. Though she was successful and a somewhat well-known writer, her constant shopping habit kept her in seemingly lots of debt. Definitely didn't make sense with her nice apartment, though it was rent-controlled for a long while. I've seen a lot of articles about how much that apartment would mm-hmm. cost. Constant going out and spending. And her column seemed ridiculously short. <laughs> and they were weekly, so... Mm, <laughs> question.
1: A lot of this was like willing suspension of disbelief. But at the same time, I was like, this is unrealistic and really irritating as an adult. Because how did you make money? Yes, yes. (laughs) How do you get that money? (laughs) Especially as a social worker who's like, I want to be these women. What the hell? How are you doing this? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. According to a recent Screen Rant article, Miranda, who was played by Cynthia Nixon, Miranda Hobbs, is the most relatable of all the women. And honestly, I would agree. As all of the quizzes I take would actually tell you. So yeah, If you, that's a hint. hint. Uh-huh. She is the strong-willed, pessimistic, but realistic friend of the bunch. She loves her job as a lawyer, gets tired of talking about men all the time, and was very realistic slash pessimistic about her relationships and even her being a mom. So it's kind of refreshing during this time of like trying to have it all, that she really mm-hmm. didn't want it all. <laughs> and she was kind of right. tired of it except for these few specific things. Mm-hmm. Also irritating. She got it all somehow and she didn't want it. Whatever. Yeah. Even in the movies, one of her best scenes is her unkempt bush scene. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the reality that she doesn't have time. She doesn't have sure. time for this maintenance. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. But she talks about her uh, struggles with her marriage. And some of the women imply that maybe because of this, her unwillingness to keep up herself is the downfall of her marriage. So a whole other thing. Wow. And the reality is that she doesn't have that time. She is a full-time partner in a law firm and you know, and a mother and trying to do all these things. Interestingly, though, in the early seasons, she was the least liked Like, Uh, she came off as the most abrasive and made Uh to be the man-hating one from the bunch, always talking about how men are awful, which, you know, whatever. (laughs) But as we said, like, that actually changed in the more recent times, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then there's Charlotte York, played by Kristen Davis, who is the art curator. It's her dream to be a wife and then a mother. She's the feminine romantic of the bunch who hoards and devours every how-to-get-a-man-in-New-York book. Um, (laughs) She is definitely a cautionary tale of getting what you want. rushing in as her marriage to Trey, though seems picturesque at first, ends up being a tale of failure and, of course, horrible mother-in-laws, though she does finally find her man... It's not ideal. Her difficulty in conceiving seemed to be the most relatable storyline in the sense of her struggles and her uh, different ventures and trying. Though, like everything else, she still gets her happy ending in the movie. Right. Just to put that in there. But yeah, I think it was really
1: interesting to see them portray that struggle. So it, it was really, not heartwarming, it was interesting to watch Kristen Davis really turn on that dramatic portion of who she was going from being, I want everything to be perfect and I can't have it. And what does Mm -hmm. this look like in her struggles? And I thought it was fairly realistic as during this time frame, I had friends who were struggling too. And it was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of how it looked. Yeah. From the outside. So going on, Samantha Jones played by Kim Cattrall. I think she's probably the most liked by a lot of the viewers. Uh, Samantha is a no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, guess-what-she-wants type of woman, which according to Carrie, makes her have the same self-delusion that give men, quote, like Ross Perot, the confidence to run for president. And I know that's kind of a dated reference, but yeah, Yeah. he was quite a caricature way back when. But (laughs) I thought it was an interesting way of her describing Samantha. They do Mm -hmm. give her some depth with her relationship with Smith Jarrett and trying to find herself, as well as her storyline of being a a breast cancer survivor and what that looks like. But it's her brashness and just overall love of sex that make her the character people
0: slash women love, for sure. Right, yeah. A lot of sex puns I hear. Yes, so many. So many funs, <laughs> Yeah, and I wanted to read this quote because it cracked me up. I will not be judged by you or society. I will wear whatever I want and blow whomever I want as long as I can breathe and kneel. So that's Samantha Jones' quote that I saw come up in a lot yeah. of these. <laughs> well,
1: this actually begins to, like, when we we're talking about Carrie becoming a little more, uh, not prudish necessarily, but more conservative, she walks in on Samantha giving a package man a blowjob. And mm-hmm. uh, the reaction they have is a whole storyline between Mm. Samantha feeling judged by her. So I thought it was interesting as well. But yes, that Mm -hmm. is one of the best lines, I think. There are so many good lines that Samantha says in these things. But we also wanted to kind of uh, revisit a couple of the episodes because every time we talked about doing this, I would bring up an episode, and I really wanted you to watch specific episodes, but it was too late by this point. Mm -hmm. And again, there's so many, so many episodes. You're like, uh, I know you're watching and uh, writing and reading other things, <laughs> so I wouldn't put that on you. Thank you. <laughs> but I thought some of the episodes that are very telling of the show is like the farting episode, mm-hmm. which is called The Drought, because each women are going through a time where they're not having sex. So right. they're talking about what they're doing and how they're not having sex or whatnot. And the beginning catalyst for Carrie is that she and Big are together, everything's sweet and nice, and she farts because she gets too comfortable. And oh. that begins to be, oh, he doesn't see me as romantic. They, he sees me as one of the boys. We're not going to have sex. We didn't have sex for three days in a row. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah. And so it's this whole thing at one point when she tells each of the girls and she does it separately. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets irritating. You hear her story three different times because she tells every one of the women mm-hmm. these issues, except she couldn't do it with Charlotte because Charlotte would quote-unquote, have a heart attack. She didn't want to make her head explode, essentially. Right. But she uh, talks to each one of the men. At one point, Samantha's like, no, 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 no. You've made a huge mistake. When men don't want to know that women fart or poop or douche, which, by the way, don't. Please don't. <laughs> but You're yeah, right. like this whole thing is like, Wow this narrative really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. They don't change it at all. In the end, like, of course, it's a bigger issue because Miranda to the rescue says, oh, my God, it's not about the f fart. She actually says that. <laughs> and, like, comes to the reality of, like, women do things. They're going to have to get over it. And she, you know, talks about what really is the issue. But I thought that was interesting that in these episodes, as open as they were, that they were sure. still talking about this as if it's a real thing. They are like, uh that's really problematic. Maybe you should not teach women that this is a thing. Mm -hmm. As well as the fact they had a whole episode where they had a wild girl settle, meaning, Mm -hmm. and getting married and having a baby and kind of like the woman regretting having a baby and wanting to be a partier. It was a whole different thing and it felt very problematic in, in putting women against each other. Those who mm-hmm. do want to, you know, like, it, it was right. such a weird, like, huh, I don't know how I feel about this. And of course, we're gonna talk a little bit more about it. But the episode, which is girl, boy, girl, boy, which is the whole bisexual oh, yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's very problematic and really sad to see that we, I think we fell into it. And because they were making jokes of it. Right. And we're gonna talk more about it. We were just like, okay, yeah, absolutely. Ch- choose one. Pick one. Which are you? And we're not right. realizing, hey. You're causing a problem. We need yeah. to readdress some of these things. But yeah, those are some of the episodes that really brought into, oh yeah. As much as I love these, oh, yeah. cringe.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we we're definitely gonna dig into those problematic tropes. And we do have some stats for you. But first, let's pause for a quick break for our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsors. So yeah, we did want to go briefly over some statistics because I thought it was interesting. It
1: is. So according to articles from sources like BuzzFeed, which by the way, a chunk of our quizzes come from, (laughs) and the New York Times, over the course of 94 episodes, the four friends had somewhere between 95 or maybe 94 and one woman to 107 partners. Yeah. That sounds exhausting. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. It breaks down roughly like this. So Carrie and Charlotte have 18 partners. Miranda had 17. And Samantha, on the show, had 41. But she definitely has an episode where they talk about getting tested for HIV. Yeah. Where she starts counting and can't find the numbers. Wow. There are somewhere around 96 sex scenes in this series. And by the way, all of them are ridiculously caricatures of what <laughs> sex looks like. It is... Mm. If you're a young child, which you talked about, this is really bad. I really hope you, this didn't influence how you thought sex was. Oh, oh. yeah. I'm going to get into that later. Oh. <laughs> and a lot of these partners are artists or bankers or lawyers are very successful. The right. few that wasn't were either younger boys who may have been bartenders. And that seems to be, you know, the lesser, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. I, I think it is pretty much, except for Steve, who is the adult who has a bar, who later owns a bar. Uh-huh. starts off as a bartender. And then it also becomes a point of contention between her and him and Miranda because of her job and making money. But then the rest of them, I think, are younger bartenders and the bigger players are
0: really f- wealthy. <laughs> Yeah, you can find a chart of how many artists did they date, how many, it exists. And they're all successful artists, BT Dubs, Yes, of course. (laughs) So just FYI, the average American has nine sexual partners throughout their lifetime. But according to some surveys, the average New Yorker has twice as much sex as the national average. And people who, who know about this think it has to do with a lessened stigma around being a single woman in New York and larger social circles. There's more people to choose from, which makes sense to me. Right. There is a chart that tracks the main character's profanity, too. And not surprisingly, Samantha's on top. But Carrie Miranda pretty close. Pretty close. I would
1: have thought Miranda would be right behind Samantha, yeah.
0: Yeah, they're, they're pretty close. There's also a chart that tracks the brand dimensions when it comes to fashion, which is a big part of the show and uh, used to paint pictures of these characters. Like, who are these characters? Just by looking at the fashion, you can kind of get a sense. Apparently, only one brand was used twice. But hey, Manolo Blahnik? I have no idea. But let's talk about some of these problematic tropes, as we promised, starting with the white feminism of the show, gets a lot of critique of that, and racism as part of that. Yeah, yeah. so we couldn't talk about this without addressing, for people who haven't seen the show, The Elephant in the Room in regards to race, and that, yes, it is based on all-white women's perspective, and for the most part, a very heteronormative, misogynistic perspective,
1: and we say misogynistic because the viewpoint is literally based on how would this man look at me?
0: How yeah, do we get it's this like man? very male gazy. still. Yes,
1: yes. So in one of the earlier episodes in season three, we have a really badly written episode of Samantha dating a very attractive black man. And when I say badly written, I mean it's obvious that a white person decided they could write for African American vernacular for them. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's bad. And with all of their... Bad judgment, the dialogue is cringy. Everything from having Samantha say something like, I've got to give me some of that. Oh, yeah. And when uh, it is addressed by Charlotte, you can't say that, don't say that. Mm-hmm. The response is, oh, stop with your liberal knee jerk reaction. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah. okay. Immediately, all right, (laughs) to the male character, which they do hook up, by the way, Samantha. This is her being open-minded, I think, to him (laughs) screaming when she starts fighting with his sister, who is a black woman, let's all be chill. Let's just be chill. Chill. And it's just like so bad that you're like oh, what is happening? Why are right. they doing this? And I knew this in the early 2000s. So I'm just saying, <laughs> right. and can we also go ahead and address this ever annoying trope of reverse racism, which is what they put in here uh, in this mm-hmm. episode, the Finley Bell plot line that his sister won't let him date Samantha because she's white. And as the sister explains, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. So not only do they put that in there, right. that's the reason it it is such a, awful way to address this issue. And as in fact, I read an article from the actress that portrayed this character saying this was her first job and she took it because she was so excited. First mm-hmm. of all, she needed a job. Secondly, Sex in the City was huge at that time. And thirdly, she wanted to be dressed and part of that culture. And though she had really good interactions behind the scenes, like apparently uh, Kim Cattrall was really kind and kept telling her how amazing she was doing. Mm-hmm. She read the plot and she read the lines and she was like, oh, well, okay, yeah. I guess. And it kind of addresses back at that point in time when people of color would take on these characters just because they had to. Yeah. And they would have to shrug it off and be like, all right, well, this is what they want and I have to get paid. You know, it was an interesting conversation. She's like, I really wish, and I knew then that this was really bad, but it didn't matter because I wanted to try
0: to be an actor. So, yeah, that episode, Yeah. Yeah. I I wrote about that one too, and like the angry black woman. Yes. Um, and, and not only that, but the, even the depiction of Robert, who is one of Miranda's love interests, ends up being an angry Black man, which is, yeah, not good. It's not a good right. look.
1: At first, you're like, oh, how sweet. And then it ends with him being the angry Black man that just mm. storms off. And it's just kind of like, oh, why? Yeah. Why?
0: Uh, and there's really not any good representation. In this. Um, <laughs> even the depiction of Asian women in one episode, they talk of class systems still existing and how it matters in relationships. And as an example, they nod towards the women who are giving all of the manicures, meaning they were lesser. Also, within the same episode, we have the fetishized Asian woman who is a servant to a white man. And they call her a servant.
1: So it's kind of like, uh-huh. And she also has this very traditional Asian clothes. While she's serving them, so it was kind of like, "Wow, y'all, yeah, wow." Also, mm-hmm. just to put it out there, Kim Cattrall did say that if they did have a remake, they should actually make one of the characters a black character because there was so little representation, and it was so blaringly obvious how yeah. little there was. Yeah,
0: we also wanted to talk about queer depictions in the show, starting with transphobia. Yeah, so
1: one of the things about it was a specific episode, which is Samantha versus the trans prostitutes that work behind her area in the Meatpacking District of New York. And just the the language used within these episodes, y'all, I I have to turn it off. And the way they they are just fairly disrespectful of the whole thing and the way they depict these women, it's really sad because it it makes them, again, a caricature. And of course, all of them but one are trans women of color. So it's kind of like, Really, all You yeah. had to do this? And of course, it has to be a, a, us versus them. But in the end, like, they all get together and all are happy and united and, and, and they watch Carrie twirl. I, I don't
0: know. <laughs> okay. Everybody loves to see like, a good twirl, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to talk about some other homophobic things, like uh, the gay best friend trope is in this a lot. Yeah, but you've got Stanford and Anthony who definitely fit into this trope. And we do see the development of Stanford's character. And that gives a little leeway of how Carrie just continues to use her friends and talk about herself constantly. So, like, I read it described as like an accessory to her. Yeah, Like, even if he has growth, he still sort of exists for her to complain to.
1: Yeah. And it's definitely interesting because, again, it is written by and created by two very openly gay men. But the way they portrayed Stanford at the beginning, in the first episode, is he was so over the top. Kitschy to where he ended up. It was like, it was kind of a relief to see him finally being like the adorable, sweet guy and kind. But yes, he's definitely just an accessory to this whole conversation.
0: Yeah. And I actually read a lot of articles about that. Maybe we'll come back to that later of like kind of that tension between gay creators and like something like this. Right. So also bisexual erasure, which we've mentioned before. So Carrie doesn't believe bisexual men are legit. And when Samantha dated a woman, The idea that Samantha might actually be bisexual or curious was really dismissed. It was like, no, she's just bored or she's looking for attention or it's a phase. That thing that we've talked about before in previous episodes.
1: Right. And we talked about the episode called Girl Boy, Girl Boy. And the whole conversation, which takes place, of course, over brunch, mm-hmm. is problematic between Miranda calling bisexuals greedy because they sample from all sides, to Charlotte saying she needs labels either you're gay or straight, pick a lane. The entire show is an issue. The overall fear mongering towards bisexuality is insulting. Yeah. <laughs> overall, literally the entirety of the show, Carrie is so neurotic. She's sure that he's looking her interest, who has said, that he just falls in love with love, mm-hmm. essentially. That she just for sure he's checking every single person out. Oh yeah, you know, that's the whole entirety thing. Right. And by the way, Elena Morcette is in this
0: episode. She and Carrie kiss. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There's a small tidbit. Okay, a tidbit. Okay. And uh, we want to talk about some sexist elements in here, I guess And like feminism, not feminism, what's going on And while this show is lauded in many ways for the strides it made in depictions of women and sex And should be, a lot of fans chafed at the ending of the first movie and the show Feeling it wasn't true to this message of independent women who weren't rushing to get married And I want to quote Nussbaum again because she actually defended the ending of the show Quote, while a mob film ends in murder, we all know where a romantic comedy ends. I'll defend until my dying day the sixth season plot in which Carrie seeks respite with a celebrity like her, the Russian artist Alexander, played by Mikhail Barishnikov, a chilly genius she doesn't love but who offers her a dreamlike fairy tale, the one she has always longed for, Paris safety money pleasure. It felt ugly and sad in a realistic way.
1: Yeah. I think it was interesting because there's a lot of conflict between her, her and Miranda because she is choosing all of these things. So, I mean, sure, I guess she gives up everything to go with this guy. Yeah. And yes, gets a happy ending. But to be fair, she also wrote a book. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Also Miranda being blamed for infidelity in the in the movie. We see that, and we talked about it earlier. Uh, we see Steve who finally says that he has had an affair after having sex one night and all this culminates into her being busy, her having to do all of these things, her being tired and pretty much lays the blame saying that she is the reason that right. he says he's sorry but it's because we've not been touching each other. We haven't. You haven't even made time for me essentially mm-hmm. as well as the fact that During her time with Carrie, Carrie is so angry about a small bit of information, which I I still can't understand, that she tells Miranda that it's her fault and she should forgive Steve. Like, it's just this whole weird turn, as well as the fact that during their counseling session, the therapist kind of puts it on her as well. So it's kind of this whole way of like, yes, yes, there is a leading. There's always a bigger story in infidelity for sure. But to put blame like that, instead of having a conversation or even say, hey, I have this problem or hey, let's have counseling before I have an affair. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Seems really (laughs) shady. I don't know. And I think it was really infuriating for me. Again, because like the whole Bush scene where she was not having waxings and all these, they kind of put that on her and saying like well no wonder your relationship fell apart you like let yourself go
0: yeah yeah i I saw a lot of angry reactions to that and also um carrie's storyline in in that movie in the first movie ends with her being won over after her rich on again off again dude big mr big uh, builds her wardrobe with expensive clothes which feels very materialistic And separately, not what the show was about, because I do think materialism was a big part of this. Cynthia Nixon said about this, quote, It seemed to me that the show was so much about female empowerment and about women making their own choices and women standing up for what they wanted and supporting themselves. So to me, to have this scene be a climax of the film, that's your very wealthy husband built you a nice closet for your clothes. I thought, wow, that's not really what you love about the show, is it? Because that's not what we were making it for. A lot of people weren't happy with Carrie's relationship with Big in general, claiming he was toxic. I read somebody describe him as like a walking red flag. Carrie consistently worries that it's turning her into a fake, this relationship. At one point, she says, I'm not like me. I'm like together, Carrie. I wear little outfits, sexy Carrie and casual Carrie. Sometimes I catch myself actually posing. It's just, it's exhausting. Right. I think that's the back and forth because... Everybody who has an
1: opinion who's seen the show about what man is the best man, which uh-huh. man is the best man of yeah. the group. But I think it's interesting because, as I said, Carrie's constant need to switch her personality, it happens throughout the entire show. It's not just big. It's with Alexander. It's with Aiden. Like, she becomes these different people. Yeah. Which happens a lot. Yeah. We all have, like, relationship goals where we try to find common interests or try to compromise for that. But yeah, it's definitely a theme for Carrie to constantly beat this. So mm-hmm. even though I do think Big is definitely toxic, I don't think it's not just him.
0: It's not just Yeah, <laughs> got it.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but people, again, also weren't happy with how Stanford was with the only other gay male in this series. Yeah, Anthony. Like, at first, when they meet each other, Anthony says to Charlotte, he could do better. Like, he can be better. As in fact, they kind of hate each other because he also outs Stanford's boyfriend later on in the show as being, I don't know if he's a prostitute? A boy, But he, he's yeah. having an advertisement in a magazine, in a gay magazine to be an escort, essentially. So, it's really interesting how they hate each other. And then... At the end, because they are the only two gay people, I guess, they end up getting together. I I don't know. And they, by the way, do remain the two strongest gay characters. The only gay characters, I guess,
0: in the whole series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly of like regular appearances. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of folks have pointed out that as revolutionary as all of this was in a lot of ways, the main characters still did pretty much stick to traditional gender roles. And on top of that, there was a a classist and superficial element with the focus on glamour, fashion, and looks... And the debate rages on about where this show falls in terms of feminism. In a 2011 article for the Daily Telegraph called Sorry Sisters, But I Hate Sex in the City, Tanya Gold wrote, Sex in the City is to feminism what sugar is to dental care. The first clue is in the opening credits of the television show. Carrie is standing in a New York street in a ballet skirt, the sort that toddlers wear. She is dressed unmistakably as a child. Because she is a sex columnist on a newspaper, a bus wearing a huge photo of her in a tiny dress trundles past. Carrie Bradshaw knows good sex, says the bus. And there, before any dialogue hits your ears, you have two woeful female archetypes that Sex in the City loves, woman as sex object and woman as child. In another episode, Carrie realizes she is homeless because she has spent $40,000 on shoes and does not have a deposit for an apartment. In this crisis, she cries and borrows the money for the deposit. What child would do anything else? Also in 2011, Ashley Dykes wrote in her research piece, and I started wondering, voiceover <laughs> and conversation in Sex and the City, quote, the fear that men will no longer find a woman attractive as she reveals her true self is in contrast to the relationships among the four main characters. But plenty have argued that the show did a lot for feminism, or maybe not that it did a lot for feminism, but was feminist or did at the very least invite feminist conversations or conversations about women and sex and in a lot of different spaces about women that we hadn't really discussed openly as a society before. It, like, made them popular.
1: Right. And I think I would agree that, I think it gave permission for so many to be able to openly talk about their sexual experiences and even learn from it. Conversations like talking about oral sex and being able to enjoy it seemed so taboo. But with the show came an understanding that women do enjoy sex and do bond over talking about it. I remember you and I were actually having a whole conversation about what this show would look like. And we talked about when women enjoy sex, when women don't enjoy sex, and Mm -hmm. why that's okay in either way. And honestly, part of my conversation came from this and that idea of... I grew up in such a very isolated and closed-minded home when it came to sex that when I came to college, I was like, this is what this is for. This is how this is. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with intimacy and, and saving whatever you have for marriage, whatever, if you really feel like that's something that you want. That's great. But that's partly in my mind. I don't think it was until I watched shows like this that I realized, oh, women actually do like sex? It's not just me. I'm not <laughs> 30. Right. Oh, okay. And it did. I think it opened up a whole big conversation in allowing the fact that you could ask other women for advice. Yeah. You don't have to do this alone. Like mm-hmm. if you're confused about something, if you, like, yeah. these are things that need to happen and allow for it. I'm also, it technically does pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will say that. It's not too much of a prize, but something that I loved and even yearn for now, especially with us still being in lockdown, <laughs> is having brunch with my girls and just releasing whatever is on our minds, enjoying a drink while complaining about work living situations, or yes, even talking about our partners and seeing friendships that would grow together. I think it was something beautiful, even though there were so many problematic things within them, and they fed into this narrative of white feminism, white relationships, white girl privilege, all these things, for sure. But the fact that they grew together, and after college, I really, really wanted that and missed that. Mm -hmm. And though the whole series does seem to be a lot about finding your mate, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the fact that they lean on each other and as much as they do, they continue to grow together. It was really refreshing to see that as an ending. The happy ending wasn't necessarily the man. The happy ending was that they were going out together. Like she comes back home from France and the first thing she does is find them mm-hmm. and make sure they all have brunch. Like In the end, when she gets married, he says, I know your true loves. And it's the, it's the women. And I
0: think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I... I liked what I saw. Maybe I'll, if I can find it anywhere, launch on I this you. journey. I got you. Okay, I got perfect. perfect. I got DVDs for days. And I do want to say, <laughs> DVDs for days, <laughs> for me, I do think it would be really interesting if there's a study out there on like how this show influenced People's thoughts on sex, because for me, even though I didn't see it growing up, it still like permeated and it still influenced me in my thoughts on sex, just the little things I saw, or even just like images I saw from it. When I was in middle school, I asked my mom if that's how people meet at bars and they date for like a week and then they have sex and then they break up. That was also influenced by other TV, not just Sex in the City. (laughs) But my mom was aghast and she was like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) I need right. to have the talk with you. And I remember even then being really confused about the fashion money. And I was like, isn't New York really expensive? Yeah. <laughs> How could I ever afford it? I was like, I can't afford this lifestyle. This is out of my reach. Oh, the entirety of like not having roommates as a single woman
1: in New York made no sense. No <laughs> sense. Because I had to have roommates in Atlanta. And right. we know the cost of living is much cheaper
0: here. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, this has been a really fun one. We wanted to run really quickly through our quiz answers of who we would be. But first, we have one more quick break forward from our sponsor. And we're back, thank you sponsor. So, yeah, we did get a lot of these from BuzzFeed. Yeah.
1: You know, of course, BuzzFeed is going to be the number one quiz, especially for things like Sex in the City. Like, I was like, there they are, 10,000 of them. So I do need to know because I sent you several. Yes. There are several different ones and I was trying to make, make a variation.
0: So which one are you? Are you a Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, or Miranda? According to this first BuzzFeed one you sent me, I got, quote, you wish you were a Carrie, but alas, <laughs> you are a Miranda, which I was like, that doesn't need to be insulting. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that? I was actually
1: Carrie on this one, and oh. I kind of was surprised and insulted. I was like, I don't want to be Carrie. What is this? <laughs> what are you saying about me? <laughs>
0: I didn't lie like it. Yeah.
1: Well, and then you sent me another one, right? Where- I did. I, I needed one more because I was like, okay, let's just see who this personality type
0: was. So, what was this other one that you you would been? Which character? It was also from BuzzFeed, and I got Samantha Jones. You're one wild person. You love to date and have fun, but getting serious is really not your style. You'd much prefer one steady group of friends over one man forever. You're great at giving advice because you're so carefree. I agree with that, minus the sex. Like, right, I, I was going like to say, right. not necessarily
1: <laughs> sex personality, but definitely your group of friends, yeah, for sure, for friends. sure. Yeah. I got Miranda on this one because I am obviously a very strong-willed and all those things. So yeah, definitely said that. And I had to know Who was the man? (laughs) I got Robert Leeds, which now I don't know how to feel about it. Um, Oh, but he's such a good guy. So that's the thing. I got Robert Leeds too. And I loved him. As a boyfriend, he's probably one of the best. Like he is so sweet, so caring, love, because this is after she has the baby and he loves the kids and so kind. She just ended up dumping him because she realized she's still in love with Steve. Okay. Okay. I feel better about it. Who, of course, they have a good relationship. Yeah. So he's a good guy. It wasn't until they broke up that they made him a bad guy. It was just really irritating they didn't need it in them like that Mm. and then i had to send you this how stuff works quiz because i was like oh she's not gonna do well i'm gonna beat her on this one for sure (laughs) Uh, how well do you know sex in the city what was your
0: rating i got 63 percent
1: yeah yeah i got 93 (laughs) oh (laughs) which is still not 100 percent because there's two i forgot about i was like what (laughs) i was very sad about that one and then the very last one we had to find the combination
0: yes the combo of which characters are you? I got Samantha and Carrie, so I'm all over the board here.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It seems like, yeah, I guess you are. But why?
0: But why? It says you're super confident like Samantha. You're creative like Carrie, too. You always know exactly what you want. You're not afraid to work hard to get it. Sometimes other people are intimidated by your success, but generally they admire you. Oh, huh.
1: Aw. Aw. Yeah, so I'm the combination of Carrie and Miranda. You're a very creative person like Carrie, but you're also ambitious, loyal, and hardworking like Miranda. You're incredibly loyal, and you always put your friends first. Everyone relies on you to cheer them up when they're feeling down, and you wouldn't have it any other way.
0: I agree with that. I can (laughs) see that.
1: (laughs) The fact that I got to be, uh, obviously, Miranda makes me happy.
0: Well, it's funny because, again, having never seen but like three snippets of the show, I thought I'd get Charlotte. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, because of the naivety? Get, yeah, probably. But yeah. I didn't get her once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me either. That's not surprising for me, though.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this episode on Sex and the City. It's been so fun. We would love to hear from you listeners, your experience with the show, the movies, what you're looking forward to or worried about in the upcoming reboot. Are you a Carrie, Samantha, Miranda, Charlotte? Let us know. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff have Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks to our super producer Christina and Yay! thanks to you for listening. Stefan never told yous production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.